You ever had deja vu? Isn't that weird? It's a weird feeling, right? I feel like we've done this before. I feel like I've been here before. There's something strangely um, familiar about the situation. Or did you, you already say that, right? How common is deja vu? Well, when I typed it into the word processor, I forgot how to spell it. I just typed in some words and it fixed it for me. It put the little dashes up top and everything. That's how common deja vu is. Even your word check speller will fix it for you. Now, when we think about this idea about being in the same place again or doing something over again, we realize that when we read Scripture, the same thing kind of happens. I don't mean weird feelings about, wait a minute, have I sat here reading this before? But what I mean to say is that when we read the text, when we're reading stories from the Bible, Sometimes, if you notice, some stories sound awfully familiar. Some stories have people or places involved with them that you've already heard about. And I really think that some of that or part of that is a tool for us. That when we hear about certain places, when we hear about certain people, one thing we should stop and do is ask ourselves, wait a minute, what's happened here before? Or what about this person should I know that maybe adds meaning or some kind of other significance to this text. What is it about what's going on now? How does that relate to something that's already gone on before? And, of course, this idea is perfect when we talk about the transfiguration. This is a perfect example of relating to some other experience. And hopefully, as you heard the text from Exodus, you could sort of make some, some parallels. And certainly in other parts of Exodus, when we talk about Moses going into the mountain and his face shining, you have these parallels that aren't just there for any old reason. They are there as a tool. But here we are at the transfiguration. And at this point in the story, Matthew tells us that Jesus had been teaching his disciples. Some of you are familiar with the whole, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives a response. And Jesus had been teaching after that. And Matthew tells us six days later, after that, here we are now. Luke tells us eight days, but maybe that's some kind of tool as well. But here we are six days later. And Jesus takes three of his disciples, right? This is all familiar. Takes three of his disciples up to a high mountain. Now, I've always wondered what the other disciples are thinking as they have to wait around or what they have to go do. And maybe what kind of faces the three disciples are making at the other disciples as they get to go up the high mountain with Jesus. But deja vu, right? Here we are again. In Matthew's text, Jesus has been on a high mountain before. One point, Matthew tells us that Jesus went up a mountain to pray. Another time, we're told that Jesus went up a mountain And his disciples followed, and he began to teach them. And uh, he starts off with the Beatitudes, and we get the Sermon on the Mount. But there's another time in Matthew when Jesus is specifically brought to a high mountain. Do you you remember when that was or with whom that was? That's right. Satan brought him up there, and Satan showed him the glory of all the kingdoms of earth and said, all this could be yours if you would just fall down and worship me. So we see before, on some high mountain, Jesus was shown glory. But now, 
Jesus is fixing to show glory. Now, we don't know anything about a process. We don't know if they stopped at a certain place. There's no idea about uh, where they went and were they waiting, were they tired. Nothing about that. We just know that as they're going up this high mountain, all of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured. Now, if we're just reading the stories, a couple questions that come up I think are important to ask. The first one is, what was the transfiguration? Right? We talk about the transformers, and as cool as that would make Jesus sound, I don't quite think that's exactly what's going on, though I don't know. It doesn't really tell us, right? So what does it mean that Jesus was transformed? And for those of you who are really dying to know, I hate to inform you that I don't really know. There's really no idea. The word just means what it means. He changed his form. I wish I knew. But maybe if we're thinking about what it is, and if we recognize that it is hard to tell, at the very least, what we can say is the transfiguration was a time, it was a moment at least, when the divine somehow, maybe strangely, became very human. We had this divine interaction about it. But another question we can ask, we can ask, what was it? But we also ask, what is the transfiguration? And what it is, we can tell you for sure, it is a revelation of who Jesus is. Because as Jesus is there, right, who shows up? Before God. Moses and Elijah, very good. Moses and Elijah, which are two very important people in life, faith life of these people, because you have Moses who represents the law, right, and you have Elijah who represents the prophet. Everything important about the life of faith for these people. And the way as they both show up in this shining moment, I amuse myself. Shining moment, get it? I just thought of that, by the way. But as they show up in this moment, in the way what you see is everything important about the faith life is now sort of culminated or maybe brought together with the central figure of this whole experience, of course, meaning Jesus. So that we have the law, we have the prophets, and in some way, Jesus being there with them. And what the transfiguration does is it says something about who and maybe even what Jesus is. It brings Jesus into the, in the picture in a very unique way. We realize, though, we remember that Jesus isn't the only one. Elijah isn't the only person, and neither is Moses. The disciples are still there, aren't they? And here the disciples are in this wonderful experience. I'm I'm assuming it's wonderful. I, I don't know what else I would call it, but here you are in this experience, and the only thing, the first thing Peter can muster up to say is, Lord, it's really good for us to be here right now. And it might be in the lost text or something, but I think Jesus says something like, Peter, duh, that's why I brought you up here. Huh? Because when you experience God, when you experience Jesus, it is good to be there. Y'all with me? Duh? 
That's in the John version, by the way. (laughs) Another John, that's right. But when we experience God, friends, put this in your soul, it is good to be there. Now, why did Peter want to build these tents? Because he has this other idea, right? It's good for us to be here. Maybe I can pitch a tent, right? And several reasons have been offered. Maybe he was just showing hospitality, right, which was a big part of faith in life. Maybe he was making some bold statement that Jesus is just as important as Elijah and Moses. Maybe he was remembering the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a time when the people remembered God being with them in the wilderness. Maybe he just wanted to make the experience last longer. Or maybe, if you're like me, sometimes you just get so excited, you, just, you don't know what you've got to do, but you've got to do something, right? Who knows what's going on in Peter's mind as he, as he tries to come up with a good idea about these tents. But this is what I want you to notice. Matthew tells us that while he was speaking, God sort of interrupts him. While he was speaking about tents and everything, God shows up in a very unavoidable way. Now, God didn't just show up and say, hi, I'm God. God said something very particular. What does God say? This is my son. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. How many of you know sometimes God has just got to interrupt us to make us listen? Because sometimes we get really busy, don't we? We call it being busy, right? We get so busy with life. We get so busy with church and we're so busy with work and so busy with family and so busy with this. We get so busy and we have very good intentions, right? Like Peter probably did with his old tent idea. But we get so busy that we can't hear what God is calling out to us. And sometimes, friends, God has just got to interrupt us. Listen. To him, God says. Now, it's important to realize that sometimes we need to be interrupted and we need to, whoa, hey, okay, maybe I wasn't listening. And if you think, well, is it worth it? Let's continue in the story because apparently the disciples heard that. Right? And what is their response when God shows up and speaks and interrupts? Fear, right? And they fall to the ground. Why do they do that? I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, talking clouds would do it for me. (laughs) Maybe you could say, maybe they hadn't been listening to Jesus and there was something about that command. Or maybe it was just this idea of the unknown. Who knows? But there they were, fearful, having to ask themselves, what in the world is going on here? At first, it was really good to be here. Now I'm not so sure. (laughs) But when you listen, you hear and you see. Because there they were, scared out of their mind on the ground. And Matthew tells us that 
Jesus, what did Jesus do? He touched him. Now, deja vu, maybe. But most times, most of the other times when Matthew tells us that Jesus touched somebody, it was to heal them. He tells them, don't be afraid. And they turn around, and the only person left is Jesus. Now, really, I guess you could say nothing's really changed about Jesus here. Jesus is still the same Jesus he was before all this began. But I bet those disciples weren't the same. I bet they saw something, and I bet they heard something that changed them. See, friends, here's part of the good news for us. One, God interrupts us. Don't be mad when God interrupts you, because sometimes you need it. But part of the good news as well is that there we are fearful. There we are prideful. There we are full of rage. There we are too busy. There we are too worried about everything else. There we are, however we are, there on the ground. There's where Jesus meets us and touches us. Listen to him. What we realize is we don't have to be up on the high mountain to have God interrupt us. God can interrupt us as you're sitting in your pretty pew right now. Thank God for that. We would hope that God would interrupt us here because sometimes, let's be real with each other, right? We can feel like, well, here I come again. I got to come do what I do. I'm just kind of here. And this is what I do on Sunday mornings. And this is just part of what our family does. And we just think, well, that's all we're here for. Then sometimes God needs to interrupt that thought so that we can listen and know why we're really here. Friends, all I can tell you is I think about God being here with us. As I think about God touching us, I can just agree with Peter. It is so good that we are here.